preaching. By preaching. Amen. Most people that pray and seek the Lord, repent, get their heart right, get baptized, get the Holy Ghost, and all these things, somebody preached to them the word of the Lord that brought conviction to their heart and caused them to obey, gave to them a willing heart to obey the word of the Lord. Romans ten fourteen bears this out. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how, say that, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is the primary means of communicating with us that God has chosen and uses in the church age that we are part of. Amen. And again, God in his wisdom hath chosen, amen, as a principal way to communicate the plan of salvation, the preaching of the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Praise God. So it takes preaching to get you in the church. It, keeps, it takes preaching to keep you in the church. Amen. We learn of salvation. Uh, we have faith. Uh, believing faith for salvation, saving faith that comes by faith generated in our hearts by the preaching of the word of the Lord. And then we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, when Jesus Christ came to the world and he began his ministry, we think about his signs and we think about the healings and the miracles and all these wonderful things. That was not the primary purpose Jesus came. That was not the primary thing that he did. He was a preacher. Yes. Amen. He read from the prophecy of Isaiah. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse number 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. Somebody said to heal the sick. That's not what he said. To raise the dead. No. To perform signs, wonders, no, he anointed me primarily, cheaply, amen, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me then, not, see, the anointing was to preach. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach deliverance. That's how deliverance comes. Somebody preaches deliverance. God honors his word. God backs his word, praise God. And so there's something very, very important about preaching that each one of us must recognize and acknowledge tonight, and that is that your salvation is dependent upon believing the word of God when it is preached unto you. Amen, it's a, it's a terrible thing, amen, to doubt the word of the Lord. Amen, I, you know, I, I, I'm just gonna, uh, divert just for a moment here. I'll come back. But when the children of Israel were being led by Moses in the wilderness, and uh, they, there was many, many things that happened that 40 years of, of wandering that really, really grieved the Lord. And he sent plagues, and he sent poisonous serpents, and all kinds of problems that came. There were enemies coming against them. Some were destroyed uh, by warfare, and on and on and on. But the Bible says the reason that they were not allowed to enter into the promise and receive the rest is because of unbelief. 
And he said, beware lest an evil heart of unbelief cause you to come short of the promise. Amen. I'm telling you, God hates unbelief more than anything else. They had committed idolatry. They had committed adultery and fornication. They had rebelled against leadership. They'd done all kinds of things, and God had dealt with these things uh, uh, here and here and here. But when it came time to go into the promised land, and God said, I'm ready to give you the land, and they refused to go in, God said, you're going to die in the wilderness. And it's recorded in Hebrews 3, chapter 3 and 4, and lets us know that God was greed with them because of their unbelief. Now, why is unbelief such a serious affront to God? Think about it this way. Unbelief is the same as calling God a liar. God said, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. And when you refuse to believe that, you are saying, God, you are not a healer or you cannot heal me. Amen. He is our Savior. Amen. And when we refuse to accept and believe and obey the plan of salvation that he's given unto us, amen, we doubt the word of God and we are the same as calling him a liar. So unbelief is a very, very serious affront to God. Now, I was born and raised in Oklahoma. Every part of the country has its own little code of, of uh, ethics and behavior and, and so forth and so on. And uh, different parts of the country, uh, you know, there's certain things you don't say unless you want trouble. Right? Amen. There's certain names you don't call people. There's certain gestures you don't make to people. There's just, uh, there's just a, a number of things that is an invitation for a fight. And I'll tell you one thing that when I was growing up that I could not and would not take off anybody was for them to call me a liar. But yet when we doubt the word of the Lord, in essence, we are insulting our God by doubting that he is either able or willing to perform his word. I don't want to be a doubter. I don't want to have unbelief in my heart. God, forgive us. Forgive me for every time I've doubted you. Amen. I want to be strong in faith. I want to believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. I want to see God do the same things in our generation that he's done in past generations. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. So let me come back to my subject. You're saved and in the church because a man of God Preach the gospel to you. Amen. And to be, uh, to continue in the, in the church and continue in the will of God, you, gotta, you must stay in his word. Amen. To be accepted at his coming. Amen. Let me give you another little verse of scripture here. I'm, I'm taking this somewhere. I'm laying a foundation. But in the book of Colossians, Paul wrote to the Colossians and told them chapter 1, 22 and 23, in the body of his flesh through death, talking about Jesus Christ, who, who his sacrificial death consisted of the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable at his sight. Wow, that's great. I want to be holy in his sight. I want to be unblameable and unreprovable. 
He said, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not a, moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now listen to this. Which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. This gospel is for every creature under heaven. This is what it takes to be saved, is obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Now, having established this, I want to go just a little bit further. And I want you to understand tonight that God is very, very concerned about your relationship with those he sends to preach or communicate his word to you. Amen. We're, a minister is a messenger of God. And when God sends, you know, we say, we want to hear a message from God. Do we not say that? Amen. Somebody said something about they felt like I had a message from the Lord to deliver here tonight. One of the preachers that was in the pulpit, I don't remember which one. And, and, and that they want to hear it, you know. They want to receive what God has. If you really believe that I came with a message from God, that makes me a messenger of God. Amen. And so a messenger represents the one that sent them. And so it's very important to God how we treat those that communicate to us the gospel. God is concerned about that. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm, 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 I'm overemphasizing it for the purpose of helping you to really, really get this in your mind and your heart. God is concerned about how you treat his messengers. Let me give you some examples from the word of the Lord. First of all, here's a principle from Psalms 105 and verse 15 saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Now you're going to like this. God's anointed, as used here in Psalms 105, is talking about the church in general. It's talking about the people of God. Did you know you are the anointed people of God? Hallelujah. Amen. So I said, well, I thought preachers were anointed. You know, anything that God calls somebody to do, he wants to anoint them to do that. Different anointing for this, 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 and this. But, but the, the number one anointing, and this is one all of us must have, we're anointed as the people of God. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. To know that God's anointing is upon you to live for him, to serve him, to be a testimony to him, to do the will of God. And so, having said that, he said, touch not mine anointed. Scattered throughout this metropolitan area are people that have violated that warning from God. It doesn't bother them to speak against the church and the people of God. They watch and look for any little thing they can exploit that they can twist, that they can pull a word out of context and, and, and try to heap reproach upon the people of God. Amen. But this is, not, this is not pleasing unto God. And God said, touch not mine anointed. I won't hang around with people that's always talking about the church. I don't want to be company with people that's always running the saints down. 
and the leaders in the church, the Sunday school teachers, school teachers, whatever kind of teachers you got around here, amen, service director, sound man, usher, the saints of God, my brother, my sister, you're not going to talk about my brother and sister to me and me keep my mouth shut. Amen. That's my family. Amen. I'm talking about from a natural standpoint. You're not going to talk about my brother and sister in the church and me keep my mouth shut. You're not going to talk about my friends in the church. You're not going to talk about my preacher. You're not going to talk about my pastor's wife. You're not going to talk about the sister that teaches my kids in Sunday school. Amen. This is the anointed of God. Touch not mine anointed. Touch not mine anointed. You can talk about me as an individual and maybe get by with it. But I'm going to tell you, when you start messing and interfering with God's church, you have touched the apple of his eye. Amen. You're not going to get by with that for very long. Amen. Because God is jealous over his church. We are espoused or engaged to be married unto him. What kind of man would allow somebody else to walk up and insult their fiance? Wouldn't be much of a man that would allow somebody to abuse the woman that he loves and he's going to marry. Let me tell you, God is jealous over his church with a godly jealousy. Aren't you glad God is jealous over you? Amen. I said God is jealous over you. He don't want the devil intruding into your life. He doesn't want people harming you. Amen. He doesn't want people picking on you. That's why he gave this warning. Touch not mine anointed. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 Then he goes on to say he extracted a special anointed group from his people. He said, do my prophets no harm. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And then he heard a voice from behind him speaking unto him. I'm Alpha Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. And he turned to see the voice who it was speaking unto him. And he got a revelation of Jesus Christ in his glorified state. And uh, and says he was among or walking about. In the, he saw seven golden candlesticks. Not like the Old Testament in the tabernacle. One stem and seven arms. But these were separate, independent candles. And, and Jesus is walking in the middle of those candlesticks. That's interesting. And then he said he had in his right hand seven stars. Seven candlesticks, seven stars. And he described his glory and fell down as one dead and so forth and so on. And then the Lord spoke to him and gave to him, explained to him the mystery of the seven golden candlesticks. He said, each of these candles represents a church. Amen. A church. 
seven churches. And, uh, and then he said, in my right hand, these are seven angels or messengers. Literally in the Greek, it's just called messengers. And throughout the Bible, a messenger of God could be referring to either an angelic being or a messenger of God, a human person, a prophet, or someone that God has sent as a messenger. So how do we know if this is talking about angels or talking about people? Just look at the context. Okay, now we turn the page to chapter 2. And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write... And it becomes very clear as we go through chapter 2 and chapter 3. All seven churches are, uh, are named in order. Seven candlesticks represented how many churches? Seven churches. And he addressed each one of them individually. And he addressed not the congregation, but he addressed the angel of the church or the messenger of the church. Okay, now let me back up just a little bit. Where were those seven stars? Where were they? Say it loud where everybody can hear it. He's holding them in his right hand. The right hand always signifies power. And when you speak of the right hand of God, we're talking about God's eternal power. His, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, omnipotence. All power. Jesus said in heaven and earth is given unto me. So he picks up those seven stars, and he's holding them in his right hand. Now, let me ask you something. Would you want to get in a wrestling match with him and try to get one of those stars out of his hand? Would you want to attack one of those seven stars that he's holding in his right hand? I don't think that's very smart, do you? So what I'm trying to help you understand is he said, don't do my prophets any harm. Amen. This is very, very important for us to understand. Amen. So again, I want us to understand that God is concerned about your relationship with those he sends to communicate to, him, to you his word. There's this, uh, uh, something recorded here. Jesus used a lot of parables to illustrate what I'm talking about uh, in Matthew 10 and 40. Jesus said, he that receiveth you receiveth me. He that receiveth me rescindeth uh, him that sent me. Now, Jesus was talking about to his disciples, his apostles, actually, at this point. And he said, I'm sending you out. And whoever receives you, receives me. Praise God. Amen. Now, if Jesus sent somebody to you, and you literally knew that he sent that person to you, and he comes up, and he's a messenger from the Lord. How will you receive him? Amen. Will you receive him warmly? Will you make him welcome? Will you assist him? Will you enable him to do what God sent him to do? How will you receive him? Jesus said, however you receive him is you receive me. But if you reject someone I send, he said, I send you out. If they reject you, they've rejected me. Now think about this. Get this in your heart and mind. To reject 
a messenger that God sends is to reject the one that sent him, which is God. To receive a messenger that God sends is to receive the Lord himself. I can't help but remember. I, don't, I didn't really want to tell this, but it keeps coming back to me. I have a sister. I have three sisters. And uh, this one sister, when she was about nine years old, or maybe ten, I was sitting on the second row at church. It would have been from the preacher's on this side right here, second row. Boy sat here, girl sat over here. And I was sitting there, and uh, I was about 14 years old. And uh, 13, no, I was, I, was, I was about 14. I believe I was a little more than 13. And uh, I was doing something really bad. I was cutting up in church because the girls could see me, and I was showing out. None of you guys has ever done that, but I, I'm, I have. None of y'all have never tried to get a girl's attention and do something stupid or foolish, have you? No. No. Done a lot of silly stuff, stupid stuff, but it wasn't get a girl's attention. I'm sure of that. Anyway, when you're, when you're, this is my last year to be in my 60s, so probably not too awful long. Well, almost a year from now, but I will be 70 years old. When you get my age, you can tell on your stuff, on yourself, and be honest about it and not have to pretend anything, okay? Used to, I couldn't do that. I just wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's really what I was doing. And my dad was head usher, and he sat at the back of the auditorium. And I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden, my little sister appears on the aisle. And she said like this, and Gus knows her. They they have a, they're very close to one another. They they really get along well. Not <laughs> anyway. Anyway, she said, Daddy said for you to come back there with him. <laughs> you know, I didn't particularly like his messenger. I didn't even like her on a good day. And here she is. I said, just shut up and get out of here. I don't have to listen to you, I believe is what I told her. So, boy, she loved that. I can see it now. I didn't watch her, but I'm sure she went back and said, Gary said that he didn't have to listen to what I had to say and that he wasn't going to do it. Which I did say I wasn't going to do it. I forgot that. I left that little part out. <laughs> One little important detail. Now listen to me, people. That was in the old days. That's, that's almost a death sentence. But here's the quandary I was in. Do I die now or later? I decided later was better than now. So I just sat there. The only problem was I started feeling two little burning places on the back of my head. I could feel Daddy's eyes burning through the back of my head. And I said, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. But I finally decided I'll just take a little peek. When I cut my head around Daddy's head. 
I committed the unpardonable sin. I said, I was picking out my casket. <laughs> now remember, I rejected my daddy's what? Messenger. I didn't like his messenger. Really, we, we, we had a personality clash. I distinctly remember the day she was born. Mama come, I mean, when mama come home from the hospital, they she come home from the hospital. Everybody's running out of the house, everybody's in the house, whatever. And I had a hammer and some pliers, and I was outside working on the fence. You know, three and a half years old, working on the fence. <laughs> and uh, mom sent for me several times to come in to see the baby. I didn't want to see the baby. It was a girl. That's not what I wanted. We didn't need any more girls on the place. But that's what we had. And, uh, and, and so we didn't get off to a very good start, and it didn't get any better for a long time. Anyway, so back to me committing suicide in front of everybody. And I knew, I'm just thinking about what all he's going to do to me when I get home. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's going to devise new ways of punishing me, ways that a human being has never been punished before, and on and on and on. And I'm all caught up in that so much that I didn't even realize somebody was standing beside me till I felt this burning sensation in my right ear. And there was so much pressure put on my ear, I had to follow it. In front of the girls and everybody, my daddy took me by the ear, pulled over like this, because he's only 5'6". I was already taller than him. Pulled me over by the ear and took me all the way down that aisle. Now, people, I don't care how tough you are. When somebody's tugging on your ear, you're going to follow that ear. <laughs> and I sat down back there, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to have to rethink this deal about rejecting the messengers that daddy sends to me. I may not like him, and I may not like what they said, but I don't think I need to pull that again. Jesus told the parable in Luke chapter 20 of a man that owned a vineyard and he sent his servant to collect his portion of the fruit that had been harvested. They were, they were uh, sharecroppers. And he sent the first one and they despitefully used him. They beat him and they sent him back empty-handed. He sent the second servant. They did the same thing to him. He sent three servants, one after another, and each one of them they entreated spitefully, abused them beat them severely and sent them back empty-handed. He thought, surely they will not reject my son. And he sent his son to them. And when they saw him come, they said, let's kill him and we'll take his inheritance away from him. So they killed his son so they could seize his inheritance. What did he do? He sent an army against him, destroyed those wicked servants and so forth. But what he's trying to tell us, when God sends somebody to us with a message, we better receive it with open arms. I don't want to be guilty of rejecting a messenger or a message. I've had some messages delivered to me before by people. I really liked them. But I didn't like their message. You understand where I'm at tonight? Amen. Okay. So, when, when you rebel 
I'm not, I don't know if there's rebellion. I'm just, I'm just felt to teach this tonight. So that's what I'm doing. We all need it. We need reminders. If you're sitting close to somebody, turn to them and say, you need a good reminder. I like the way your sister said that, teacher. That was good. I could tell you really meant it. <laughs> yeah. Praise God. And so, if, let's, I got to move on here. King Jehoshaphat. Enemies of the Lord come against them. They were so outnumbered. It wasn't, it wasn't even... It wasn't even going to be a war. And he cried out to God. And the prophet came to him and told him that you don't have to fight this battle because you've cried unto God. He said for you to stand still and you're going to see his salvation. God's going to fight this battle for you. How many of you like it when God takes over and fights your battle for you? Amen. And, and so Jehoshaphat is the one that said these words. He said, believe in the Lord and you'll be established. Believe as prophets and you will prosper. That's, that was said in the midst of, 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 a, of a threat from the enemy. They was already gathered out there ready to do war and destroy them. And Jehoshaphat got a word from the Lord. He believed it with all of his heart. He encouraged the people. And he said, listen, I want to tell you something. He said, believe in the Lord and you're going to be established. Amen. Believe his prophets and you're going to prosper. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. And, and, and so God didn't tell Jehoshaphat to put the singers out front. How, you, you all know the story I'm talking about. Amen. You've seen it demonstrated before. Amen. One of you grab the keyboard and one the organ. We're going to march around. <laughs> Might need a little help. But they had their instruments. They had their horns. They had their cymbals. They had all of these different things. Amen. And those, none of those are weapons. But they can be. How many of you know that praise and worship can be a weapon? I've seen times when that's what worked. Just sometimes that's what works. Amen. Intercessory prayer, prayer is powerful, and it really, really works. But there's been times when I've seen God move upon people just to worship. And he did great things while they were worshiping. Praise God. And so he said, here, here look, this act of faith on Jehoshaphat's part, that's what I want you to see. The prophet didn't say put the singers out front. You know, that shows that Jehoshaphat really believed the word of the prophet. He put the most vulnerable out there. You can't carry an instrument around and defend yourself at the same time. You can't be out here blowing a horn or beating cymbals together or whatever else and, and, and defend yourself. But he said, don't worry about it because God's going to fight for us today. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what. God loves his church. You're his anointed people. He'll fight for you. I said he'll fight for his people. He'll do it. He'll fight for this church. He has before. He'll do it again. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So what happened? While they were singing and praising God, God sent ambushments against the enemy. They were destroyed. God just took care of it. No big deal for God. Just taken care of. Amen. Now, 
Let's go back to our first story here that, that I read in your hearing tonight in our text. This prophet Elisha, often he was like an itinerant preacher. He went from one town to another, and he would hold little services. He would uh, maybe offer a sacrifice. He would preach to them. A lot, a lot of what we call prophesying in the Old Testament was just preaching, just preaching what God told him to preach. You know, some people think a prophecy is a, a prediction of the future. That's not the definition of a prophecy. Prophecy is just a word from the Lord. It's, it's just the word of God. Uh, in a technical sense, I'm prophesying right now because I am preaching the word of God. And so uh, this prophet Elisha traveled from one place to another, but he often passed through this little town called Shunem. Bible says there's a great woman that lived there, which means a very important, uh, highly regarded woman uh, that invited the prophet to come in and eat with them when he passed by. That was their typical uh, oriental um, uh, hospitality, their custom in that time. But uh, uh, when he come by and ate with them, uh, she just uh, uh, invited him in. Anytime you come through Shunem, you're going to have dinner with us. That was a standing invitation. And Elisha, he was, he was welcomed there. He was received there. So he would stop there. Of course, he traveled with a servant. And, and this woman had a husband. It's not, nothing out of, out of order here at all. And uh, you see that as we go a little further in the story. She spoke to her husband and said, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. She said, let's do this. Let's add a room onto this house. Praise God. Now, she didn't say let's build a cottage out here. Let's add another room onto this house. And this will be the prophet's room. Amen. And we're going to put everything in it he needs. We're going to put a bed in there. We're going to put a candlestick. We're going to put a table or a desk. And we're going to put a, 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 a everything that he needs uh, to be comfortable and he can stay as long as he wants to. My, can you imagine? It was a big thing for him to know that he could always stop and refresh himself and get a bite to eat. But they've taken it further. Said, we want the man of God to be able, amen, to just freely come in here. And, and this is his home. His home away from home. We want him, if he's tired, to come in and sit in his chair and relax. He works hard. This will be a break for him. This will be a little respite, a little, a little place of refuge. What did she want? Nothing. She just wanted to be a blessing to the messenger of the Lord. Amen. And so they built the room. They furnished it. And because of the kindness of prophets, so I want to do something to bless her. And he told his servant, find out everything you can about this woman. And he come back and he offered, do you want me to say something to the king for you? Because he had the ear of the king. She said, no, we don't need anything like that. Do you want me to? No, we don't need anything. That's, we, don't, we don't need a, a payment. This is not why we're doing this. But then his, his servant said, I do know that they don't have any children. And they really want a child. And so prophet called her in and said, according to the time of life, you're going to bear a son. And nine months later, bless your heart, she had a baby boy. And that was wonderful. What a, what a reward, hallelujah, for, for making a place for the man of God in their life, in their home. What a reward. Amen. Praise God. 
You with me? But the little boy began to grow up. He wasn't grown yet, but harvest time came. It's always hot and dry in harvest. Her husband was out with the servants. They were taking in the harvest, and finally the boy got old enough. He took the boy with him one day to be with them and to observe what's going on. And uh, the boy got sick, and his head was hurt. I don't know if he got. I don't know if he got too hot. It almost sounds like a heat stroke. Whatever it was. Finally, he got so sick, he, he gave the servants said, take him home to his mama, took him home to mom, and mom held her in her, in her lap, and, and her son died in her arms, her only son, the miracle child that God had given them. Amen. She ordered her servants, saddle up a mount. Amen. And he saddled up, and she got on that, and she laid the boy out in the prophet's room on his bed. And she rode hard to the place, long, long ways away to where the prophet was. The upshot of all of this is, is the man of God came back to her house, went into his room, amen, prayed and cried unto God, and God raised that child up and restored him to health. Amen. I tell you, it pays, it pays, it pays, it pays to be kind to God's people. Amen. Her efforts to make the man of God welcome in her home brought great blessings upon her family. I'm going to wrap this up with two or three little stories I want to tell you about, true things that's happened in my ministry, things that I've seen God do. Amen. It's been a few years ago now, but uh, there was a, a man that uh, uh, wasn't even attending our church. I knew him from bygone years. He actually was a member of the home church that I come out of, him and his wife. And, uh, and uh, he had uh, severe pneumonia, double pneumonia. By the time they took him to the hospital, he was just about gone. And I didn't know anything about this, but uh, I, uh, I got a phone call. And uh, she, she knew me from when I was a kid. She called me. She said, Brother Gary, I really need something. Uh, my my uh, husband is in the hospital. He's got double pneumonia. He's very bad. They say he won't make it. Would you please come and pray for my husband? Well, I said, you know what? I, I don't know if I can come up there or not. I said, you know, you got a pastor, and, uh, and I, you'd have to get his permission for me to come. She said, well, I know he won't give it, and I knew he wouldn't either, but I'm just trying to be ethical. And I said, she just kept pleading with me, please, please. I said, let me pray about it. And so I walked into my bedroom, and I had been working outside, and I decided that I'd go take a shower and clean up just in case I need to go down there. And as I walked through my bedroom, I've never had this happen but one other time, a burden hit me so hard it knocked me on my face in the floor, and I couldn't get up. And for a period of time, I don't know how long it was, you lose track of time in, in those type of situations, but I was in deep, deep travail for that man, and I felt the anointing of God come on me, and God told me, you go pray for that man, and so I said, whatever the consequences, I've got to obey God. I went to the hospital, and I went to, up to the ICU waiting room. The family was there. 
Her sister come up, up, up to me. I've never done this before or since, but I'm telling you, I had so much anointing on me, my body was vibrating. And I told her, I said, don't touch me. I don't, want to, I don't want to shake hands with anybody. I don't want to touch anybody. I don't want to engage in conversation with anybody. Take me to where Art is right now. And his wife and I went into ICU. He was unresponsive. He was hooked up to every kind of machine there was. He was intubated and, you know, you know how it is. You've seen people like that. It's your typical deal. Man at the point of death. And I prayed for him and I felt God, but not in, a, you know, what I expected to see or wanted to see. He didn't show no sign of anything, of anything different. Not one sign. You know what? I missed it. His wife did not go back there with me. She was waiting in the waiting room. I went back there by myself and prayed for him. Anyway, I came back out, and his wife said to me, is my husband going to live or is he going to die? I said, your husband is going to live. She said, that's good enough for me. Little did I know. He lay there lifeless for over 120 days. He was hooked up to machines. They said he was dead. There's no brain activity. There's no other kind of activity. His lungs filled up with uh, uh, mold, not mold, what do you call it? Uh, fungus. His lungs filled up with fungus. They literally went in there and pulled hands full of fungus out of his lungs. I've never heard of such a thing. His gallbladder got infected. And while he was still that, they came in there and did a surgery and removed his gallbladder. No sign of life. They pleaded with her. They begged her, please, let's stop this. Let's turn, let's remove these machines. She said, no. Why? The man of God said that my husband is going to live. I've got the stack of records that's that thick. They gave me all of their records, and I, this, is a, this, is a, uh, this is an established thing that happened in the largest hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, St. Francis Hospital. Yep. And a hundred, I don't remember sure which day it was. It was 120-some days. I need to go back and refresh my memory on that. I'm not, I'm not a real detail-oriented person. So those things I don't pay much attention to sometimes. But anyway, one day a woman was in there cleaning the room. And... She heard a noise, and she turned around to see what it was, and this man was trying to sit up in bed, and he was <clears throat> trying to make sounds around, the, you know, where he was intubated, and he was pointing. He wanted it out. He wanted it out. She screamed and ran out of the room, and a little bit here come the nurses, a little bit here come the doctors, a little bit here come everybody, and he wanted it out. He wanted it out. He wanted it out, and they pulled it out, and he said, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. He could have gone home right then. 
But of course, they had to observe him a few days. And after they observed him two or three days, they went to move him out on the main floor. And they went and took a, a, a roll of computer paper and they printed out this big old banner that said, Congratulations, Miracle Man. And they spread it across the wall. It was probably as long as this right here in big letters. Uh, congratulations, Miracle Man. They had a big old cake from the bakery ordered in, and everybody in the hospital that wanted to could come by and get a piece of that cake and celebrate the Miracle Man moving from ICU to a regular room. Praise God. To God be the glory. But it would have never happened if that woman had not gladly received the word of the Lord and said, it's a word of God and I'm standing on it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you one more and then I'm going to close. There's a man in my city that owns two banks, or bank and a branch bank. He owns them. Very nice man. And we got acquainted. Uh, actually, he come by the church one time soliciting our business. And I turned him down then, but later things changed at the bank I was banking at. So I thought I'll, seek, I'll, I'll go talk to him and seek him out and see what. So he became our banker. And, uh, and not only that, he's become a very close personal friend. This man's been very kind to our church. He gave us an incredible building that's housing one of our, our Spanish churches and a very valuable piece of property, gave it to us. He, he bought it, bought out a bank for the purpose. He told me, if you want it, I'm gonna buy this bank out and you can have the building and I'll just take the accounts and whatever. But if you don't want the building, I'm not buying it. And I said, well, I don't know, you know what I say? Well, I think you really need those accounts, David. Go ahead and buy it. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, it's turned into a real friendship. Ever so often, he calls me and uh, asks me to go to lunch with him. And uh, when he's got decisions to make, if he's got personal issues in his life or his family, he'll talk to me. If he's got major business decisions to make, I remember one time, I mean, here I am, just Pentecostal preacher, okay? And he asked me to go to lunch with him. Went to lunch with him, and he laid out here this big proposal that had been presented to him, and he was trying to decide if he's going to do it or not. It's a $18 million deal. And uh, so he laid it all out for me. I asked him a few questions, and I don't even remember what they were, but anyway, he said, he stopped and said, you know what? I never thought of that. Hmm. He said, I'm glad you asked that question. That just made up my mind. I'm not doing this deal. I can tell. And so he didn't do it. Based on my word. Isn't that something? But here's a story I want to tell you about. This man belongs to the Methodist Church. It's, it's the largest Methodist Church, United Methodist Church in the world. The, the largest United Methodist Church and the second largest United Methodist Church is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. One and two in one city. Go figure. Anyway... He tells, he said, I belong to Asbury Methodist, but you're my pastor. He calls me his pastor. I get introduced to all kinds of who's who, you know, in Tulsa. And uh, anyway, it's, it's kind of a unique deal. 
I won't, I'm, I'm only bringing this up. It's not to make me look big or anything. God put him in my life because he wants this man to be saved, and he's, and he's getting closer. He really is, really close. But anyway, this during the recession, small banks, big banks were falling by the dozens. Remember, several hundred of them went down, and all of them were threatened. And he had a, a trucking firm. He had a loan out for them. And it was around eight hundred thousand dollars somewhere around there. I don't remember here again. I'm not. I'm not. I just don't pay attention. To, but um, it's. It was. It was nearing a million dollars, and and uh, I didn't know this, but uh, a bank can only loan twenty times its assets. So money on deposit, uh, even even debt that is secured is an asset to an extent, but. This company uh, had shut down, and everyone knew they were going to go into receivership. They were going to have to file total bankruptcy. And he had this note, and he said, he, I went out to eat with him, and he told me about it when we sat down there at the restaurant. And I said, well, what, what can you do about this, David? He said, well, you know, somebody could buy this note. said, this property is worth twice of what's owed against it easily. But he said, the problem is, once it goes to receivership, it'd be at least a year and a half before you could cash it out, before you could sell it. And uh, so we ordered our food. It came. I prayed. asked the Lord to, to uh, help my friend David and uh, to help work this out for him. And uh, anyway, we're sitting there eating. As we got near the end of our, of our meal, I felt God prompt me. I, and, and oh, I'd ask him early. I said, "Do you know anybody that might buy this note?" He said, "I know one man. He's an he's an investor. He's a finance guy. Said he could do it. Said he could write a check, personal check, and not even miss it." But uh, and he said, "I told him about it, but uh, uh, first he seemed interested, and then he didn't seem to want anything to do with it." So then, now at the, toward the end of the meal, at the end of the meal, I just felt it. I said, "David, do you know how to get a hold of that man?" He said, yeah. I said, you think you could see him now? I said, yeah, I'm sure he's at home. I said, if you'll go right now, he'll write you a check and buy that note from you. This, this is a Methodist man, okay? I'm not talking apostolics. Do you know what he did? He got up right then, and out the door he went. I'm still finishing up. And away he went. Well, I got through, got up. Driving home, had the radio on, and guess what? They announced on the radio, special news bulletin. It's a big, big company. Just filed for bankruptcy. And you see, he couldn't sell it after bankruptcy. I found out the next day. He went over there. The man wrote the check, took the note off his hand. If we'd waited an hour later, it couldn't happen. I'm just telling you, if you will listen to your man of God, I didn't know that. I'm not smart. I'm just a messenger of God. But when your preacher feels something from God, it would serve your interest to listen. Listen to the messenger. Listen to the message. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. What I'm trying to tell you tonight, 
I haven't even told you the title of what I'm preaching tonight, but I'm going to do that right now. And the title is, it's a long one, Building a Special Place in Your Life for Your Man of God. Building a Special Place in Your Life for Your Man of God. And I said, I wasn't just one more, but I, I, I feel to do one more. Tell you one more. There's a preacher that is well-known, highly respected in our fellowship. I highly respect him. In fact, I talked to him on the phone today while I was driving up here. And uh, I've been a friend of his for many years. He, he, he invited me into his life a number of years ago. His children were kids then. Oldest was maybe, uh, he has several children. The oldest one, I think, was maybe like 15 or 16. Probably, probably 16 when I first met him and on down from that. And uh, anyway, uh, this man, just been a really, it's been an unusual deal. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's just really, really difficult to understand. And uh, I didn't even really know him. I didn't even know if he's a man of the spirit or not. I just met him at a conference and he, and he said he wanted me to come and preach for him. So I went, they had a little camp meeting. I went and preached for him. And, and that afternoon, a uh, bunch of the kids was going to go swimming in the river, not far from there, beautiful area. And, uh, and God got to dinner with me. I couldn't hardly breathe. I was so burdened. And I went to him and I said, is your son planning on going swimming today? And he said, he is. I said, please, brother, don't let your son go swimming. Whatever you do, don't let him go swimming. I said, I am so burdened for him. And so he didn't let his son go swimming. I didn't find out until a long, long time later his son really got mad about it because he really wanted to go swimming. But the other boys went swimming, and one of the boys in their church group, uh, it, you know, it was a swift river, and he got overcome or tired or something and began drowning. And... Uh, there's another boy that could swim like a fish. I mean, the boy went down and was down. And this other boy just got him and managed to get him out and saved his life. But if it had been the preacher's son, he's a decent swimmer, but he wasn't that good a swimmer. I know good and well he would have drowned trying to save that other boy. We'd had a double drowning that day. But God saved that boy, saved his life because the preacher Listen to another preacher. And since that time, I cannot tell you, with every one of his children, there have been major things arise in their life. And every time, God has spoken to me about it. I remember picking up the phone and calling him one day. One of his daughters worked at a hospital. And I called him and I said, I called her name. How's she doing? Well, I guess she's doing all right. She, you know, could do a little better or whatever. But... Uh, I said, is, is she dating a doctor? He said, not that I know of. And I said, I think you need to check and find out what's going on. I said, I am heavily burdened, and I feel like there's a doctor. Either she's dating or wanting to date. There's something going on here. He got her aside, quizzed her down, told her that I had called and said thus and so. She began crying and telling him that there was a, a very eligible doctor there that had been trying to get her to go out with him and that she was, she was ready to do it. She was planning on, uh, on start dating this doctor. And, of course, she didn't. 
I'm telling you, the list goes on and on and on. But I was in their home last year, and uh, all the family gathered together. All the kids are married. All of them have children now. It's a large family. My goodness, there must be 14 grandkids or so. And, uh, and uh, I've had a special relationship with that family, so they, they all wanted to see me before I left. So I had a big dinner. All the kids, everybody's together. And uh, so we're, we're at the table. We're eating. And here I am, you know, all these people wanting to do something nice for me, and I start feeling real heavy and heavier, 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 heavier. And I'm trying to smile and talk and visit, and it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Finally, I said to him, I said, listen, I hate to do this, but I have to do this. But I need to speak to all your family. I've, I've got a word from the Lord for your family. Gather them all together. And I told him, I said, the devil is angry about the things that God is doing here in this church. And he is attacking this family. And I said, there is a spirit of death that is following this family. And if you don't get a hold of God and plead the blood and, and get God's protection upon you, we're going to see some serious things happen. There's going to be some deaths connected with this family. Well, we all went to praying, praying and praying and praying and praying. Three days later, I believe it was four of his granddaughters and a grandson, or maybe it was five, was in a car. And they were going down this treacherous road. It's a mountainous road. And there's drop-offs that go straight down. A gravel road on their way to school. They lost control, rolled the car. It almost rolled off down into this deep precipice. And God stopped them. God stopped the car. Here they are, slaying upside down. But the one girl had a broken collarbone, but other than a few, and they weren't any of them strapped in, okay? No seat belts. And uh, God spared them. Two weeks later, the same group of kids in a car going to school, and, a, and another girl uh, was driving the car, and she turned it over several times. It almost went off another embankment. Go figure, not a one of them was wearing a seatbelt. Rednecks. You know, rednecks, wrecks don't hurt them. Nothing hurts them. But anyway, God spared them. Not one injury out of that. I got a call back, let's see, real early, earlier this year, in spring. It was early, early spring. And uh, they have a spring there on the property, and they dug it out, and they put this big old huge culvert upside down like this to collect that water and so they can use it. And uh, they were building a cover for it in the fall, and bad weather come in, and they, bend, they just put something temporary over it. And here this is in the springtime. And uh, he's got some grandchildren that live close by there, and they were out, little brother and sister was out playing and running and what have you. And the little boy is about eight or nine years old, but he is a chunk. 
I'm telling you, the kid weighs over 100 pounds. And his little sister is just a year or two younger than him, but she only weighs about half of what he weighs. Anyway, they run across the top of this. She ran across it, but when he ran across it, 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 it broke and he fell in. And uh, there's no way to get out. He, he kind of found a, a little ledge or something that he got his toes on and he was hanging on and he told his sister go get help go get help and she took off running he screamed back at her said no come back come back I can't last I can't last and she come back there to him and this is unbelievable what happened that little girl reached over the side of that and got a hold of her brother that was quite a ways down you know to the water she got him by the hands when nothing it pulled him out of that culvert and easily could have been should have been both of them drowning but God delivered him if this man said to me brother Howard why is it that every time danger or problem is coming against my family God gives you a word for us and I said the only thing I can think of is because you have made a place in your life for a man of God. As I bring this to a conclusion tonight, I want to ask you a question. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Have you really made a place in your life, in your family, in your home, truly made a place for your man of God. I pastor, you know, comparison-wise, quite a large church. And uh, there's some people, if I feel something from God, I don't feel no hesitancy to go to them. There's others, I know if I go to them, they're going to argue they're going to, well, this and that, and you've got to understand this, and on and on and on. There's some that it's reached a point that I realize it is pointless, and I just pray for them because I know they're not receiving anything I tell them. They haven't built a place in their life for a man of God. I'll tell you something. The day's coming when every one of us is going to need a word from the Lord and if there's no one that we've made a place for, who is going to warn us? Who's going to help us? Praise God. Let's just, let's just pray for a minute right now. Come on, can we do that? Let's just talk to God in your name, Jesus. In your precious name, God, in your precious name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, I bless your name. I bless your name. I bless your name. Oh, Jesus. My Jesus, my Savior. I worship you. I love you. I adore you, God. Oh, God, help us tonight. Help us tonight. Help us tonight. Help us tonight. Help us tonight, God. Help us tonight. Oh, Jesus. A little simple peasant woman 
in the greater Manila area in the Philippines. Heard me preach a message about six years ago at their general conference. And I preached in 1 John where it talks about if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence in whatsoever we ask, God will do it for us. And I talked about living a life free from condemnation. Just prior to that, it said, we say we have no sin, we lie and deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father to tell us how to take care of it, how to fix things. And uh, then if our heart condemns us not, that's the way I want to live. I don't want to live under condemnation. You ever needed God and you had condemnation, you had to work on that first? If there's a real emergency, it's a little too late, isn't it? But anyway, that's what I preached on. And I told him, I said, it's like putting money in the bank, doing what's right, doing what you're supposed to do. And I mentioned paying your tithes. Yes, these people are poor, poor, poor. Why would you want them to pay tithes? Because that's a good way for God to bless them. That's God's financial plan. And when they start paying tithes, their situation improves, their economic situation. And, and so this woman was a relatively new convert. She was in an extension, an outreach. They were doing about 30 or 35 minutes away there. And uh, so a few months passed by. And one day her son that was uh, 12 years old got sick and died. And she uh, called the pastor just in a panic. Get here as quick as you can. My son's dead. And so it was going to took a little bit, you know. They, they don't have cars and stuff. I mean, the pastor had a motor scooter. And that's his transportation. That's how he got around. But anyway, while, while he was getting ready and getting his motor scooter and all this, uh, the people in the neighborhood gathered around. And, uh, and she said she remembered the message that I preached. And one of the things that she had been struggling with is not paying tithe because she said, we're just so poor, we, don't, we can't afford it. But in that service, she told the Lord, okay, I'm going to start paying tithe. I mean, just, just, just listen to the story, okay? And so she started doing that. And now her son is dead. And she remembered what I preached. And she made, this sounds so much like a, a story in the Bible. She made all of them get out of the room, and she closed the door. And she got down beside the bed, and she said, Lord, Elder Howard said that if I served you and did what I was supposed to do, that someday I'm going to need a miracle. I'm going to need something from you, and it would be like putting money in the bank. And she said, God, I've done everything I know to do. I've paid my tithes faithfully. I go to church. I'm doing everything I know to do. And she said, now I'm asking you to raise my son back to life. This boy had been dead like 30 or 40 minutes. When she finished praying, he opened his eyes and sat up in the bed. And God totally restored him to life. And that's not the end of the story. 
He might have been 13, because it seemed like he was 14. <laughs> back to details. He's in that age group, okay? A few months later, I was back a year later for this uh, same conference. And, uh, and this, uh, uh, I was told this story. And then this woman was there with her son, and, uh, and they got, the pastor's wife went and got this, uh, this woman and her son and brought them to me and introduced me to them. Okay, this first time Brother Short went over there. It's been about four years, five years ago. Anyway, he introduced him to me, and I got to meet this boy and took a picture. I think I took a picture with him. Anyway, we took a picture, and, uh, and then Brother Short was preaching to the young people, and that boy got the Holy Ghost. And he, was, he wasn't ready to meet God when he died. But God extended his life just because of this woman's faith and confidence in the word of God. Oh, let's stand and give thanks to the Lord right now. Come on, let's praise God for his goodness. Amen. God loves us. God cares about us. God wants to help us. Amen. He's there for you. He's watching over you. Oh, let's praise him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, God. I love you, my Savior. I worship you, Jesus. Glory be to thy name. Glory be to the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Come on, that could be you that needs a miracle someday. Amen. That could be you that needs a word from the Lord someday. Come on, let's give heed to the word of the Lord. Let's continue to reach out to God. Amen. Let's, uh, let's ask God to help us to open ourselves to the word of God and to the messenger of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I praise your name. I praise your name.